words to the tech team, you only start the clock when the preacher reads the first text. Uh, I'm Noel Sanderson. My wife, Maura, is with me today. We have come from the legendary state of North Dakota. That's up near Canada. Um, and as someone in the worship team noted, I have an accent, apparently. So I will try to um, speak American, although we have been here 10 years and we are citizens. Apparently, I've not lost my accent. Um, I uh, pastored for 36 years in all kinds of churches in Africa, uh, our home country of South Africa, and we were nine years in upstate New York, which has its share of winter, uh, thanks to the Great Lakes and the Canadian Maritimes, but not winters like this. We, we have forests and hills, so we don't get the wind. But um, <clears throat> your district superintendent, Pastor Scheibel, uh, texted me about a week ago or so and said, could I come down uh, for today? And um, I realize, and I don't want to bring a message today and leave you with the impression that I am unaware that the church is going through a journey. I, I recognize that, having pastored a whole bunch of churches in all kinds of places and different kinds of churches, I realize that churches have history. Our church back in New York uh, is now 97 years old. Uh, it has history. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that you're here today. Today, I think, is last Sunday was a, a spot of bad weather, I think. Uh, well, we had a spot of bad weather up in North Dakota, and we shared it with all of you. That I'm aware that I, I don't think you gathered last Sunday. And so today is a kind of a, a day one of, of a season, and, um, and I do recognize that this morning. Uh, I uh, actually am a professor up at the graduate school in Ellendale. That's Ellendale. I was talking with someone earlier, and they heard another name, another town. Ellendale, North Dakota. And uh, there I, I uh, teach in the, in the graduate program with the master's students um, in a season of my life. And uh, having stepped away from pastoring and sent by my home church in New York, uh, here to the Dakotas. I'm not sure whether that was a, that was, they, they were blessing me or, or saying we're releasing you to God. I, I'm still trying to work out what that all means, but it, it is a great blessing, and uh, so we're there uh, serving Christ in this season of our lives. Okay, if you have a clock, you can start the clock. He's already started the clock. I'm working by this one. So as I was um, praying uh, through the week about today, realizing it's, for me, and I imagine for many, it's not just like an, another Sunday. Um, it is the Sunday that it is. And so as I look to the Lord uh, for a word for people I don't know, but His church I know, uh, the church's builder and designer I know, the church's king I know, and so I want to talk about Jesus and his gospel. That's what he came to bring. 
Now, I realize that probably in a church like this, there's a lot of folk who are, are well, well educated in the things of God, and you know that the gospel really means good news. And originally, uh, the word in the Greek that was used uh, really wasn't a religious or spiritual word. It was like me coming up to you and slapping you on the back and saying, hey, I, I hear there's good news. You're getting a tax refund. It's good news. Good news is good news. Good news, spring is coming. And it's not a spiritual statement. It's not a religious word. It's just good news. And Jesus came to bring us good news. Okay? Of course, it became associated with the good news of Jesus. So there's something about the goodness in the news that Jesus brings us. And so this morning, I felt that um, I wanted to just bring a word that I think reminds us to keep perspective on what Jesus is busy doing and expects us to be busy with. And so uh, as, a, as a Christian and a, as a disciple in my own right and someone who's pastored and now I'm shaping uh, the, the, the journeys of, of people who are pastoring as they, they take on their master's degrees and so forth, and, and I find myself coming back to the basics. What is it to know Christ? And as a pastor, I would, I, and, and before I was even ordained, you know, we were out on there, out doing the sort of door-to-door thing and street evangelism and all the stuff that was way outside my comfort zone. But what would we say? We'd say, do you know Jesus? And uh, if you wanted to, if you, were, if you had been around a bit and you knew about these Christians and you wanted to avoid going through the four spiritual laws, the right answer was yes, I know Jesus. End a conversation, move on to the next sinner. But, but actually, I began to realize that when we ask people this question, do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? I'm not even sure what I'm asking. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ, to become one who believes in Christ? And I, I began to realize that I have to open that up like a box that's wrapped. I have to take off the, the, the ribbon. I have to take off the, the wrapper. I have to open the box and see what's inside and take out the bubble wrap. And finally, I get to what's inside. We, you have to unpack this idea of what it is to know Christ. Does it mean that I follow him where he leads? Does it mean that I obey him when he commands does it mean that I live my life? Everything that is my life, do I live my life to glorify Him? Is that what it means when I say I know Christ? So this morning, one question is, or one thing I want to propose is to say to you that in this gospel, in this good news, is in is buried this idea of potential. Because the good news of Jesus is news. But I need to do something with that news. There's potential in that news. And I ask myself, what is the potential in this room today? What is the potential for each of us individually? And what is the potential of you as a group here in Millbank, South Dakota? What lies untapped here? What lies yet not yet surrendered to Jesus? 
What potential is here? So if we go to the Bible and Mark chapter 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now just as uh, a man called, we know him historically as John the Baptist, uh, was sent by God, uh, conceived in the miracle, uh, and, and, and raised up and sent by God as a forerunner, a, a one who would prepare the way for Jesus to declare, he's coming, he's coming. I am not him. I am not worthy to even tie the laces of his shoes, but he is coming, and he's coming soon. In fact, he's here. He's soon behind me. Prepare your hearts, prepare your minds, prepare your whole world for revolution. Because he's bringing all the potential of heaven in him. Oh, we call him Messiah. Messiah meaning the anointed one. The one empowered, the one who's being given authority. To do what only he can do. No one else can do what he's coming to do. Only he can do it. There are no others. There will be many who claim to be, but there's only one. In some sense, in some small way, we are ourselves, as his children, as his followers, as his worshippers, as his disciples, a people given to society to help them understand that there is a Messiah. There is one and only one who can, who can take away that which is tripping me up, that which is, is, is shackling my soul, that which is holding me in, in a kind of slavery to addictions and hang-ups and all kinds of things. And, and probably most of all, I'm a prisoner to my past. He comes with the power and authority to free me. But not just to free me, but to free me to my potential. So if there are a title for today, it's simply this, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. It should change everything. It must change everything. God expects it to change everything. The gospel changes everything. And if I have become, and I came to Christ as a young teenager, so it's been a while that I've walked with Christ. If I become so complacent, so familiar with the gospel that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father are no longer working miracles in me to change me, then I have lost the plot. I have forgotten. I have become so familiar with the gospel that I treat it almost with a kind of religious contempt. I take it for granted. And I slide into that place where I say, oh, I know the Lord. I'm not obeying him. I'm not following him. But boy, do I know a lot about him. I'm very familiar with Jesus. So the gospel changes everything. A substitution bought with his life. A switch at Calvary. But there's more to the gospel than God 
dealing with my past, God forgiving my past, God washing away my sin in his blood. There's more to the gospel than God saying, okay, uh, say the sinner's prayer and you, 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 you're good to go. I was raised in Africa, um, spent three years with nuns and four and a bit years, four and a half years with monks. You would have guessed Catholic. I, I had religion. I, I certainly did have religion. Super, super organized religion. At the end of those years, I certainly didn't know God, but I knew a whole lot of things about the ch- that church and it, its ways and its processes and the, the rosary and, and, and how to pray and how to get souls out of purgatory and, 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 and how to confess your sin and, uh, in, in the confessional. I knew a lot of religious stuff and I experienced religious stuff. I just didn't know Jesus. And when I did come to know Jesus, it was alone in my bedroom as a young teenager where God and I met. Why was I alone in my bedroom? Because anywhere else I encountered him, I pushed him away. Because you see, I knew all about God and religion and Jesus on the cross. But when I gave my life to Jesus that that evening in my bedroom, I had no clue, none, what that decision that day would, would, would result in in my life. I didn't have a crystal ball that would look down the road and, 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 and see the woman I would marry and, and the children we would have and the life we would live and, and where that decision would lead to in terms of a call to, to full-time ministry and, 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 and find me here this morning in March 2019 in South Dakota. This young teenager in Cape Town, South Africa, making a decision to respond to the gospel, to respond to the tugging of Jesus, I had no clue what would flow from that choice. And all the choices for Christ that would flow through the years of my life. I knew that my past was forgiven. I'd heard the gospel preached often enough. It was the time of the hippie revival that went around the world and it swept through Cape Town in a big way. And so I got saved in the hippie revival. And there were a lot of, a lot of preaching of the gospel and a lot of end times. And I think Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist and, and uh, 666. And people were working out the numbers. And, 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 and we even had a friend who said, I'm not having children because Jesus is coming and it's all going to go boof in a nuclear cloud. And, and, and I lived in that end time fever of, of the 70s. Well, we're still here. And apparently Kissinger while he still, I think, breathes. I don't think he's the Antichrist. Not that one. But the reality is that my past was forgiven. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. My sins were washed away. And as a Catholic, I understood that whole atonement thing a little bit, you know. Got it. What I did not understand. And now, when I look back over my life, I begin to have a glimmer of understanding That as I gave my life to Jesus, repented of my sins, responded to the gospel that night with everything that I had, the the limited knowledge I had really of this new Christianity, I did not understand that Jesus had written or that God had written in heaven a narrative. He'd written a story over my life. He'd written a future 
A future I could not have possibly guessed at. He'd written a future, a potential that all existed. I would discover that and continue to discover it. I never in a million years thought I'd ever come to the United States. It wasn't on my bucket list. As far away, they don't use metric, they drive on the other side of the road, they play strange sports. The Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast of Australia looked a whole lot more attractive to a South African. America, United States. I never thought I'd ever live in, in, in New York. I, if that had ever occurred to me, I certainly didn't ever think I'd live in North Dakota. <laughs> Teaching in a grad school. You don't know anything about my life, understandably. I truly was a high school dropout. But when the gospel came into my life, that story God had written over my future, which I could not see, but I, 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 he'd written that future over me, and he had plans for me that I could not guess at because he seed in me, saw in me a divine kingdom potential that was not evident in the natural but the gospel is supernatural. What stories are written? Or what, what story, what potential, what future is written over your life? And I don't mind whether you're 15 or 70 this morning. There's a story written in heaven over your life. And so there's the sense of the past in the gospel that's taken care of. But there is a future that is written. It's kind of almost prophetic in the sense it's like, it's like the prayer, as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a will in heaven that God wants us to realize on earth. And I don't know about you, but as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Christ, I, my heart's desire, Lord, is to walk in the provision and the will and the plan that you have for me. Please download it faster and make it high-pixeled because I, I need to get a clear picture. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes finding out what God wants you to do is a little fuzzy, you know, it's a little gray, it's a little misty. Yesterday when we drove through, there were these patches, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but there were these patches of, of, of whatever, condensation, uh, fog, <laughs> uh, and, you know, one moment you're going along at 70, and the next minute you're like, okay, I better slow down to about 45 here, because I can only see so far. And I've got one of these cars that's got one of these eyesight things that tells you, you know, you're an idiot if you go there and there, beeps at you, and, 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 and it sort of, it's reading these lines, and then it loses its marbles, because suddenly a big thing on your dash, kind of a line, eyesight cancelled. Because it can't actually tell where the road is and the, the, the snow is and everything else. Everything's white. Sometimes life is like that. I, I, I don't quite know. My wife has just been in California visiting our family and I decided uh, one morning to, to go to the gym on the campus and I cut around the back and uh, it was actually snowing. And, but it's not far. It's probably, I don't know, not even half a mile or something. But I drove around and on the campus, I landed up in a snowdrift because, because you couldn't tell track from snowbank. It was just a whiteout. 
And I literally had to dig myself out with my hands. Uh, I didn't get to the gym. I thought I'd done enough gym. And I just went home and <laughs> huff and a puff and got in the shower and, 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 and muttered about the weather. But we have a future that is written as it is in heaven. So what are the sort of things that God sort of says about our future? And they're very broad and generic, but you remember these things. He says things like, I will always be with you. I will be your God. I will prepare a place for you. I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will adopt you. If you seek me, you will find me. I will always love you. I will build my church. These are all statements about a preferred future if we will respond to the gospel. So the gospel changes everything, but let's be a bit more specific. It changes me. It changes me. It changes us. When there's more of me, two or three of me and you, it changes us, or it should. But it does depend on what we do with Jesus as our king. And I imagine that there may be a few people who might be wondering right at this stage uh, of this church, um, you know, how do I respond? Where do I go? What do I do? What's, what, how, do I, how do I react to... Uh, things that are developing and so forth in the church. Reminds me of storms, you know. Uh, there, were, there, there was that, that famous couple of storms in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, one time Jesus is asleep in the boat and they're all panicking and freaking out and they're saying, well, don't you care that we all die? And I, in a way, I'm very paraphrasing it, but it's like Jesus is saying, are you dying right now in this boat on the sea is not part of your preferred future. <laughs> there is a preferred future. But it's not this and it's not now. There was the storm that raged in Peter's heart and mind uh, alongside a fire in a courtyard when Jesus was arrested and a woman came up to him and said, I recognize your accent. You've been hanging out with that guy from Galilee. And we know how that went. There was a storm in that same man's heart and mind uh, a little while later when he'd gone back to the Galilee and there they are and then Jesus arrives after his resurrection, and, and I don't know what was going on in Peter's heart at that time. His mind is flashing back to his denial there in the fire, at the fireside in the courtyard, uh, and, and, and now Jesus is coming, and Jesus is, is, is alive after being dead, and, and he, I, I don't know, maybe his mind, all the fuses were blowing. It was like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. And maybe he's forming in his own heart and mind, uh, okay, how, what am I going to say to Jesus? What am I going to say to Jesus? How am I going to explain that? Justify it, excuse it. Uh, 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 for once, Peter's kind of at a loss for words. And then Jesus opens his mouth. And instead of Jesus accusing him and judging him and rebuking him and, and throwing him out, Jesus said, um, do you love me? Different kind of storm now. He'd been bracing himself possibly for a stern rebuke. And he gets asked, do you love me? All kinds of storms happen in our lives, in our circumstances, in the boat, when the storm is just, just here. Or the storm is in here. Or the storm is perhaps in the emotions in, when the two Marys run to the, to the garden. Uh, to, 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 they go to the garden and, and they're going to go and prepare the body of Jesus. Now he's been buried and, and they can go and anoint the body and do the whole ritual thing for burying him. And he's not there. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. And the Bible says that they were, they were, there was a mix of fear and excitement in them. Could it be? No, it can't. He, is he alive? No, maybe they've stolen his body. Where did you lay him? And, and there's this storm in their lives. Dare they hope that Jesus is alive. <laughs> that all the prophets and the prophecies actually are true. 
Could it be? Could it be that, that what he said would happen has happened? We know he raised the dead. We know he healed the sick. He know we stole the storm. And we know, we know Jesus did miracles. But, but could, it, could it be? Could it be that Jesus this morning has a word for whatever storm you're in? Be still and know that I'm God. Oh, I know you're God, but... Oh, I know you're building your church, but... Oh, I, I, I know you forgive sins, but you don't know my sin. Oh, uh, I, I, I know that you're the, the, the king of shalom. You're the king of peace. But right now, my, my marriage, my business, my, my kids are... You know, I, I, I'm just, my world is just like... Just so dis, in disarray. I know that you are, but you, my circumstances... Is Jesus dead or alive? Do the prophecies mean anything? Is the story that Jesus has written in heaven over my life and your life fantasy? Is it Disneyland? My wife and I, without our kids, have been to both Disneys. <laughs> the one in California and the one in Florida. And when I first went to that one down in Florida, oh, I suppose either of them, one of my responses was, as I walked around and watched this incredible world that these people have made, is how good they were at creating fantasy that we just love, or some of us. But the story he has written over my life and your life is not a fantasy. It's all the potential of heaven given to you in the gospel. So we go to the 14th chapter of Mark chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now again, if you've been a follower of Christ for some time, you're probably extremely familiar with these words, but I want to just look at them for a moment. To state the obvious, sometimes we've become so familiar with the obvious that we've forgotten the obvious. Jesus is king. He said, I will build my church. We are part of that church. So, what? Well, actually, the question that comes out of that statement is, <clears throat> is Jesus really in charge? Is Jesus really in charge? If you read all of the Gospels, and you see all that he did, and where he went, and what he taught, and what he said, and how he engaged with society, and how he healed on the Sabbath, and apparently that was a bad thing to do, a good thing on the Sabbath, and, and, and he, all the things that Jesus did, of all the things Jesus did, In many ways, without saying it, he made a statement. I am now in charge. And if you want to believe in me and be my disciple, you will do as I do. What would that be, Jesus? 
Well, let's have a chat about a cross. You need to pick it up. There wasn't a Jew who didn't understand what a cross was. It wasn't a Jewish or Judaic religious symbol. It was a symbol of the Roman Empire. It was a symbol of other empires as well, but it was at that time for them, it was a symbol of horror and death and suffering and humiliation and everything utterly horrible, utterly degrading, intentionally so. And Jesus, the Messiah, the one who heals and walks on water, says, well, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and and follow me. So this gospel of God and this kingdom come together. The good news, it's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of the kingdom, which you cannot have without a king. And a king, in the context of this Bible, is in charge. Is Jesus in charge? Uh, some years ago, I, I went to a church and um, walked in. And uh, they had a big, a big foyer entrance area. And they had high walls, kind of like that over there and like here. And there were about six or seven or more Huge banners from ceiling to floor, wide like this, uh, in color, beautifully designed, and it was their statement of their values. I remember one, uh, excellence was a value. Uh, And I forget the others because I got stuck on the excellence one, but there were all these values that were up there. It didn't take me very long to realize that this was a wish list this is what they wanted to be. It's, I, I, I said to them, these are not your values. They are your aspired for values, aspirational values. Is what you'd, you'd like to be excellent, but you aren't. And so eventually I said, I, I really suggest you take them all down. Because you're not actually practicing any of them to any degree. But rather let the people who come into this church building encounter you as people as disciples of Jesus, and may they go away and tell their friends at the barbecue, I went to this church, or I've been going to this church for a month, and you know what? They do everything excellently. Let them come to that conclusion because they have observed you, not because you've advertised it. I'm not against putting your values up. I I, I have a difficulty saying, These are our values, but we have absolutely no clue how we're going to get that right. (laughs) And actually, we really don't practice it, but we went to a conference, and everybody talked about putting your values on the wall, so we came back and put them on the wall. (laughs) How does somebody know I'm a disciple of Jesus? Because I wear a badge that says, disciple of Jesus? How do people know that in these walls, on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or whatever time it may be, They will come in here and they will find a community of Christ people. We will have to do that which we say we believe in. So, I want you to look, if you have your Bibles, at something here that the King James and the NIV don't get right. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What have I missed? That little word in is omitted in the King James and the NIV. That little word in, there's a huge difference between believe in the gospel and believe the gospel. 
as it was originally written. Because to believe the gospel is to say, I've received a message, I believe the message. But to believe in the gospel means I have decided in light of the news to take a stand in relationship to that news. I have a relationship, I believe in the gospel. That's very different to believing the gospel. Am I playing with words? Yes. But actually, that's the intent of the text. There are a lot of people, I, I, as a pastor, I've met a lot of people who believe in Jesus that just don't believe in Jesus. That's a massive discipleship chasm right there. And Jesus is looking for a people in America at this time, he always has, but this is the time we live in, when he needs his people to believe in him and his good news and the power of that news to change our lives. We need to take a stand or adopt an attitude to the king, which is submission to the king, worship of the king, obedience to the king, love for the king, service to the king, surrender before his throne, the throne of the king. Forgiveness is something I practice. Generosity is something I practice. Kindness is something I practice. To believe in the gospel is to put the gospel to work in me. In my life, as a young teenager, when I gave this life to Jesus Christ, I was to learn and continue to learn what it is to believe in the gospel and the power of the gospel to change everything in my life. So I bring the gospel into my life. I bring it into my marriage. I bring it into my parenting. I bring it into my career, whatever that may be. I bring it into the church that I'm part of, the community I'm part of, and I bring it into me. Me. I've told this story many times. When our daughter was probably less than two, we were pastoring in a small little village in, in South Africa, in a, in a rural community, a village of 500 people when everybody was there. So this is like a huge city comparison. Little village, 500 people or less. And I was pastoring in this church, and um, it was a huge summer electrical thunderstorm, massive thunderstorm, lightning, thunder, and our daughter was playing, we were sitting in the living room, and she was playing on the, on, on the carpet with some Duplo or something, little thing, and uh, we were sitting there, and, and uh, all of a sudden, there was this lightning strike really close to the house, massive, if you've ever been in situations like that, I mean, it was just light, light and sound all together, and the power went out. And like the opening lines of the novel that Snoopy has been writing for a very long time, or, or was it Snoopy? Uh, the opening lines of his, that's a Peanuts character in comics. Um, uh, the opening line is, uh, it was a dark and stormy night. And, and it was a dark and stormy night. And as the power went out, it was literally pitch black. Literally, you, could, you couldn't see your hand from your face. And we heard this little voice from the middle of the room. Where's me? Where's me? She had disappeared. She could not see herself. But she realized that she existed, so this little voice, where's me? There's a profound theological truth there. <laughs> Where is me? We have to let the gospel come and influence and change me. Me. 
uh, when I came to Christ and was introduced to a church and there was this little ditty they used to sing. It's not my brother or my sister, O Lord, who needs prayer, but me standing in the need of prayer. I need the gospel. I didn't need the gospel only on the day I surrendered in my bedroom. I need the gospel today. I will need it tomorrow. I will need it every day till I see Jesus. It must work in me. I, um, I had an opportunity to reflect quite emotionally on the reality that the gospel changes everything when um, uh, some months, some year, about a year ago, whatever it was, my wife remembers all these things, we were in California, <clears throat> where my son and daughter-in-law live. Uh, God bless them in Southern California. Uh, but they live down there, and they go to a, a very large, one of those large churches, and they were having the baby dedication of our granddaughter. And uh, off we went to the church, and, and they got up on the platform, and there were about five or six other young couples dedicating their children, and, and there was my son and, and his lovely wife and the little granddaughter, and I sat there and I had this sort of tsunami of emotion, a storm, as it were, hit me. Why did it hit me? Well, not just because it was a sweet and, and moving moment to see our, our, our you know, granddaughter and our, our son and daughter-in-law up there and so on. It was that moment, special in all its ways. But why was this storm in me? It was a good storm, but it was a storm that came from the fact that when I was 47 years old, Surprise, I'm older than that now. But when I was 47, I came to know uh, something about my life that I had not known. And that was that I, I, my mother had tried to abort me. And I had been told all my life that I was a miracle child. That she had not been able to conceive and she'd prayed to the Virgin Mary and lit her candles and done her thing. And... All my life, because I didn't have brothers or sisters, I have no siblings. And along the way, and I have to leave a lot of the detail out because the time is gone, but along the way, through the years, I kind of like, someone would say to me, oh, you were meant to be, you were meant to be. And my mother would say, you're the miracle child, I couldn't have children, and, and then she did her things, and, and then I was conceived. But at 47, I discovered actually, the, the, my whole life, as far as explaining my existence, had been a lie. And in fact, the abortion back in the 1950s in South Africa, it was a bit crude, I imagine, didn't work. But she did admit uh, at another point prior to my finding out that she'd had abortions that did work. So I'm sitting in this church in California. And I see my son. We have a daughter as well, but my son and his wife and a grandchild. And the storm that hits me is this realization that the gospel changes everything. Because when I came to know Christ as Savior, when I surrendered in my bedroom to Jesus and gave my life and my future, which I had no clue about, to Jesus, that included the woman I would marry, the children we would have, the ministry and calling and role and vocation that I would have, and ultimately a grandchild. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm generation one, a son's generation two, Maria's generation three. 
what alternative ending could there have been if that night Christ had not met me? We can become so familiar with the gospel, with church. that we forget the power of the gospel. So I have a few questions for you to answer. Some takeaways, some application. Ask yourself this morning, what has the gospel changed in my life? Really? If your answer is, well, the gospel, because of the gospel, my sins are forgiven, great. And I'm waiting for the end. There needs to be an end. And an end. And an end. And yes, Jesus came and he washed away my past. But he's given me a future. He's written a story over my life that I will discover if I obey him and follow him where he leads. And I let him be in charge of my life. Because I came from a very broken home situation. A bad divorce with my parents. Father ending up with a, a, a six-month prison sentence, which they, they held off for three years and make sure that he behaved himself. I mean, it went bad quickly and badly. But the gospel changes everything. It doesn't just change me. It can change the generations. If you're younger here today, you're going to believe that God has written a story over your life that will unlock the potential that is yours if you will just believe in the gospel. Have a relationship with the gospel of the power of God to change. So, a few questions. Where has the gospel still to penetrate your life? Are you holding out on some area? Where is the gospel still to penetrate in my life? Will you give God permission this morning to go into some area that you've held him at arm's length? It said, my soul you can cleanse, but my morals you leave alone. My mind you can fill with Bible texts, but my mouth and my tongue, you leave that alone. My speech is mine. A second question, what, does, what decisions do I need to make today to give God permission to let the gospel in and be effective across every part of my life? Another question, what have you inherited because of your humanness? What have you inherited that the gospel needs to disinherit in your life? Because if the gospel had not come into me and I in relationship to it, I would have inherited all the sins of my father and believe me, all the sins of my mother. Believe me. I was going down a road of occult because that was what she was into. She was into occult, always consulting the dead. And only after I discovered about the abortions did I start to click in my mind that maybe she was trying to find the dead babies. Let me say it again. What have you inherited that the gospel needs to disinherit? 
and set you free to your potential. Today is not tomorrow, but tomorrow may well be decided on what you decide today. Let us pray. Precious Father, you say that you love us, and love us you do. You proved it by sending Jesus, the Messiah, with all the authority to take away our sins and die in our place and switch our death sentence for a life sentence, a life of liberty, of worship, of freedom. And this morning I want to pray for everybody that's here today who got up this morning and said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to that church. I'm going to go back. I pray for each person here this morning, Lord. Tomorrow when they wake up, more, may there be more love, more kindness, more of you, more grace, more courage, more forgiveness than yesterday. May there be more faith and willingness to trust you to believe that you've written over their lives and over the life of this congregation a future that is definitely kingdom preferred. That you will advance this congregation in this town and raise up a banner in this place with the name of Jesus on it that all who see it will be drawn to it. Bless them, Father. Bless them as a group. Bless them as individuals and families. They walk every single day and stand in relationship to this good news of Jesus. My sins are forgiven. My heart is set free. And he has provided a future for me. May that become the true experience of everybody in this place this morning.